Welcome to episode 38 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds, and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, my friends, I regret to inform you that this is and will be, unfortunately, the final, or at least the known final episode of Jesus and the Meteorologist. Among other reasons, we keep losing icebergs. Last year it was Hogan, and now it's Roger who will head off to college and leave us alone with insufficient ice to sustain our bergs. (laughs) I will miss you all. Because over the past 12 months, it has been my privilege to host this curiously titled little podcast, which drew its inspiration, as you and our listeners can attest, from the biblical accounts in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, where Jesus rebukes his accusers for their unbelief, calling them hypocrites for depending on God's revelation to predict the weather while ignoring God's revelation to interpret the signs of the times. From its inception and through the contours of each and every episode, no matter the topic, we have been unapologetic in our purpose and conviction that knowledge of God is inescapable, and that the Christian worldview is the precondition for the intelligibility of anything. Icebergs, early question for you. What does this mean? You've been here now for a year. 38 episodes, actually 39 if we count the Christmas one, right? Did we do one other special Mm -hmm. one? Or is that... Mm. No, I think think that's that's it. it. Well, that kind of bugs me. It's even more. (laughs) 39, (laughs) almost a 40, Uh, not quite there. Train was slowing down as it reached Squidgetville. (laughs) So... We could do like a reunion in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Or, Or maybe 10 months. Maybe we'll come and do one special episode at Christmas time. So the Christian worldview is the precondition for the intelligibility of anything. What do we mean by that? It means that without the Christian worldview, no other worldview makes sense. Not only no other worldview makes sense, but reality doesn't make sense. Can you add to that or give that more depth or detail, Winnie or Penelope? You know what's great? Being that this is the last episode, we can... Include all of our sounds. Let's start with our clock. Love that clock. Going to miss that clock. <laughs> well, I was thinking um, that without, you know, no other worldview can interpret the world or anything in it without borrowing from the Christian worldview. And they can't account for anything that they know without it. Yes. Yeah, so people, as we're going to get into it again and remind our audience in this in this episode, while everyone certainly does act rationally, for example, the Christian worldview is the only worldview that can explain why we act rationally, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, to Winnie's point, it's the only worldview that gives us the ability to account for why we do these things. Everyone does them. So 
when we say the Christian worldview is the precondition for the intelligibility of anything, it's to say, unless you know the God of Scripture, you cannot know anything. And as we've elaborated over the course of a year, everyone knows the God of the Scripture in the sense that everyone lives according to and takes for granted the created order. Everyone uses, by necessity, universal concepts like, let's name some of them. What are some of these universal concepts we've talked about over and over again? Logic. Logic. Laws of logic. Okay. Truth. Truth. This sense of right and wrong. Okay. These are invisible, immaterial, right? And by immaterial, we don't mean unimportant. We mean can't see it, right? Not mm -hmm. materially, not not able to be apprehended in a material nature. Okay, what else? How about what we're doing? What what are we doing right now? We're talking. 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 And when you talk, you use... Words. Words <laughs> are part of what? A language. Language, mm -hmm. right? The reliability and consistency of language, right? There may be multiple um, dialects. There may be multiple languages. But within a culture, people use language, and you depend today that the word red is going to mean red tomorrow. Can you imagine the disorder if red today means blue tomorrow, means green the next day, right? Mm -hmm. What are some other invariant concepts that we use to make sense of our experiences and observations? How about the laws of nature, right? The, the, yeah. phys the physical mm -hmm. nature, the regularity of matter right? Even the simple demands of rationality itself prove the inescapability of God and the indisputability of his existence. Save for a truly crazy person, all people aim to live, do they not, and to organize their lives rationally. But why do they do this? Who says we have to live rationally? God. <laughs> right? But why does an unbeliever try to live rationally? Well, in his worldview, he actually many don't have an answer. Yeah, they just say... Because that's just because how it is. That's yeah. just how it is. Or they say, we've evolved to this, yeah. which then begs the question, well, why did you evolve? Why did rational life come from irrational existence or non-rational existence, right? Everyone tries to live rationally, and they demand it of others, right? The unbeliever tries to argue his position and demand that you give an answer for your position, well, that's a rational debate. Only our worldview accounts for why we're having that rational debate. Mm -hmm. So you can't account for this concept of rationality, this demand for it, unless the Bible is true about God, about man, and about the world in which we live. When we return, we shall give our defense, exploring this topic more fully, taking a deeper dive one more time into our conviction that Jesus Christ himself is and must be the ultimate criterion for all things. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologist. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com 
Click the image of the little brown book and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back. One last time or one last episode, middle segment, to Jesus and the Meteorologist, a weekly squidget. Penelope is so sad that we're not going to be able to talk about squidgets anymore. <laughs> Devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Cookagee. I'm still your host for one final episode. First thing I want to do is welcome back our jet-setting Winnie, <laughs> who went from uh, a couple of episodes she missed first to go to camp, where she was diligently and and being very scholarly yes. for like seven hours a day for two weeks. <laughs> this time, though, you had more fun, right? Yes. This time it was the Florida Keys and then another beach near Panama City. Wow. Florida Keys. Mm-hmm. I know. Sailed yeah. away to Key Largo. Bogey and Bacall, right? The mm-hmm. uh, uh, Cas- Bertie Higgins. Yeah. I know, but Bertie Higgins song about Casablanca. Casablanca. Yeah. yeah. All right, and also Penelope and Roger here. Thank you for holding down the fort. It was never as, as fun usual. without Winnie, was it? Yeah. Just was a little same. empty. Yeah. Felt a little empty. Well, we're going to take one last walk about Squidgetville. Let that settle on your palate for a while so you can remember us. And then we're going to go one more time past the. I know that's also that's one of be in my nightmares. That's also one of Penelope's favorite places. <laughs> then so we're going to go alarm to wake up in the morning. <sighs> That'll scare you out of bed. Yes, and so as we go past premises of my nemesis, we're going one more time up the steps to ring the doorbell into the houses of analysis, where we turn. Saunter down the hallway and into, finally, for one last hurrah, before Roger goes off to college, and we take a pause of unknown length, we enter the... Offices of Hypothesis. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and Roger asked earlier for this little um, ring, so give me that, um, what do we call it, the little classroom bell? One final hypothesis. You like that, Roger? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay, here we go. I'll ask it twice, and then you give me your answers. The Word of God is and must be the final criterion for all things, true or false. The Word of God is and must be the final criterion. In other words, the final measuring stick or the standard by which we measure all things, true or false. True. True. (laughs) Well, I'd say it's the first thing that we measure all things by. I was going to say, is this a trick question? Because if Not a trick question. Okay. So I got two trues, and Roger's undecided. I, <laughs> no, no, Roger's saying I, I think it should be the first and the last measuring, measuring stick. Yes, but what I mean by final criterion is it is ultimately everyone has a final criterion. Whatever convictions you have, when you look at evidence and you make a decision, everybody ultimately comes down to, well... I don't believe that or I believe that based on this. So that's what I mean by final criterion. When you when you cut away all of the all of the other evidence and you get down to well what is that back of why you're interpreting the evidence the way you are, your final criterion either needs to be yourself or the Something word of God else. ultimately, yeah, right? Exactly. So now I'll ask it one more time. 
The Word of God is and must be the final criterion for all things, true or false, Roger. True. All right. Now let's say why or why not. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, how do we... Look at that one. She got one 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 click of the clock. (laughs) How how else are we going to know anything? Like, we have no higher standard in man, and God is the standard above us, and that's his word that he gives us. Okay. Before I input, I want to hold that. I'll hold that like in a little bag here. Right? <laughs> bag of why or why nots. That's one bag why. of Squidgetville, um, mm-hmm. what, what do you call and it? Like sounds, sounds like this. Squidgetville keepsakes. So it's, it's, it's partially full now. It's got a little bit of an answer. A Squidgetville souvenir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it? Because Penelope, <laughs> Penelope is one of the first to answer the question. The Word of God is the final criterion, which I would agree with, but why? Um, because without without um, the Word of God, we can't make sense of anything. So how could nothing else that you would try to measure it by would make sense? Or it could be or, ultimately arbitrary. What does arbitrary mean? <laughs> I'll ask Roger to answer that. Arbitrary means it doesn't have a, a, a purpose or a foundation. It's just random. You can make an arbitrary... Dis- like when we talk about um, favorite sports teams, who's the best, mm-hmm. it's it's rather arbitrary to say that the Predators are the best, whereas it's more <laughs> of a... Um, it's more of a evidence-based answer to say the Penguins are the mm. best. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, I when think this I'm, season Colorado beat them both. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I think um, I think by that measure, most people know what I'm talking about. But anyway, arbitrary, yes. It can be shift like sand or uh, flit about on top of the waves, right? Your opinion versus my opinion. I make a decision based on something today, and then I change my mind as the basis for it tomorrow. Arbitrary. not a, Not subject to a fixed standard. Okay. Well, let me ask you a a related question to help you think deeper. Those who reject the primacy of the Word of God as the starting point, as Roger said, for all things, they don't think they know God, do they? Yeah, they think they're on their own. Right. So when Mm -hmm. we say everyone knows God, they're like, They say, I don't know God. And and they certainly don't give credit to God for what they claim to know, do they? No. Mm -mm. Okay. But does this mean they actually don't know God? In other words, do their protestations and opinions have any effect on the nature of what is true, or is their actual knowledge of God dependent upon their own analysis of the situation? One more question before you answer. Does their belief about the situation define or determine the truth of the matter? No, no. it doesn't. It'd be, like, it'd be like someone standing on the earth believing it's flat. Instead of when they're living on a round earth, just because they think it's flat and they may say evidence like, oh, look around you. It looks flat enough. It doesn't change, mm-hmm. it doesn't change the fact that yeah. the earth is not flat. It's a globe. That's right. So in the last segment, we made the assertion that everyone knows the God of Scripture in the sense that everyone lives according to and takes for granted the created order. The difference between believers and unbelievers, though, is that while the believer admits these things and gives glory and credit to God for revealing them to us, the unbeliever pretends otherwise. As it says in Romans 1, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Now, 
my question to the icebergs is, how has God made it plain to everyone? In his word. Okay. Among other things, God has made it plain in his word. Okay. What, where else do we see evidence that God has made it plain to us? Uh, we see evidence in ourselves. Okay. So there's, there's two aspects that Paul is talking about in Romans. In fact, this translation doesn't do it justice, but some of the other translations, especially if you go back, Old King James or um, some of those era, it makes it clear that God manifests himself in us as well as in the world around us. So the fact that God made you is evident in you, right? God makes himself manifest to everyone. And according to the Bible, God can do this because God doesn't make mistakes. He's perfect. So if God is all-powerful, perfect, all-knowing, and inescapable as he claims in scriptures, then it would be impossible for God to create someone who did not know him, right? Yeah. Mm. Now, if someone claims he or she does not know God, that is, that God has not made himself plain to him or her, then it is obviously not the triune God of Scripture about which they're speaking, right? Perhaps they don't know some other God, small g, but they can't be talking about the God of Scripture. Why? Because we are all made in his image. Therefore, we all know him. Okay. Okay. And where do we know that? How do we know that? We know that from Scripture. Yeah, because the triune God of Scripture tells us that he is, among all of his other qualities, he tells us that he's original, perfect, creator, not created, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal, and complete. And he also says that we know him. So the question then turns to the existence of God and who defines him. The unbeliever will reply, well... I don't believe in your God or any God for that matter, right? And I certainly don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, right? Which begs another question. Is God, including the question of whether or not he exists, is God defined and determined by God? Or is God and the question of whether or not he exists defined by man? Well, it's most definitely not defined by man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the problem, if you choose the latter, is that is if, if you say that God and his existence is defined by man, you've put yourself into a conundrum. What are some of the conundrums that you get into if you, as a man, become the one that decides whether God and his existence is defined by you? Well, then who would have the ultimate authority if God is defined by his creation? Then he wouldn't be God. It, yeah, mm -hmm. he wouldn't be God. It creates this weird cyclical kind of... Yeah, the first thing you do, if you make yourself the measure of God, you set yourself up as superior to God, right? Because logically speaking, the thing that defines or measures another thing must be superior, above, or ultimate, more ultimate than the thing being defined. And we can give examples of scales, right? You put something on a scale, we say, how much does it weigh? Well, you look to the scale, so you're giving the scale authority over... So if I get in the scale and it says 180 pounds, but I've had too much chocolate cake that week and I'm really 185 pounds, mm -hmm. and so the scale says 185, and I say, nope, I'm 180, what are you going to believe? A scale. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. right? So you've given authority to the scale over my opinion in that point. How about in the, in the realm of school? 
right? The teacher who's correcting your paper measures your work, your work product, right? That teacher has authority over your work product, is superior to it in that sense, right? And then you can extend that to judges and courts, right? You come before the judge and whatever your opinion might be, if you are being tried, whether it's a jury or a bench trial and the judge ultimately renders the opinion based on the evidence or based on how the jury reads the evidence, the judge comes down with his decision. It's called an opinion, but it is a legal decision. And he has measured you and said either if it's a criminal case, right, you're, you're, you're convicted or you're freed. If it's a civil case, you win or you lose and you win or lose money, right? But there's a measurement and we appeal to that and we relegate ourselves to those systems of measurement. And it always comes down to the item or the function of the person or the, the scale, the teacher, the judge who is doing the measuring is ultimate over the person, right? One more example, we've talked about this, some of you have taken my classes. If someone comes before a judge and he's convicted, judge puts a hammer down, says guy goes to jail, and he says, well, with all due respect, your honor, I don't agree with your decision. <laughs> Do we say, okay, well, great. <laughs> so long. Darn, I, I, I really, oh. right? I really thought the judge had a chance there. <laughs> yeah. So we do this all the time, okay? So now let's take it back to this definition of God, including not only who God is, but who gets to define who God is. A couple questions. How do you know, would be my question, to someone who says, well, I'm the, I'm the ultimate standard. I measure whether or not God exists. Well, my question is, how do you know that you are superior or more ultimate than God, right? How do you know that God does not exist? In other words, what is your theory of knowledge? By the way, anyone remember the $64,000 word we use for theory of knowledge? Epistemology, (laughs) right? What is your theory of... It's one thing to say, I think that God doesn't exist, but do you have evidence for that claim, right? How do you know what you know? Then having made yourself the measure of all things without evidence, you automatically then deprive yourself of the foundation for knowing anything else. So why is this so? Well, how can you know anything without knowing everything? That's a really good point. Right? If you claim to know something, <laughs> the only way you can know it is if completely know it, is if you are a God and is if you know everything. Because whatever you claim to know is still limited by your sphere of knowledge, right? There's always the potential that somebody somewhere will have found something to debunk your theory, at which point you're like, oh, I guess I didn't know that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about other ways of knowing things, though. What does it require? What does knowledge require? And think again of these concepts and, well, I almost gave the answer. Think of concepts again. How do you know something? How does your mind work in knowing something? Like if I were to pick up this, what am I holding? A bag. Okay. Of pretzel. Bag of Snyder's of Hanover's pretzel, right? How do you know this is a pretzel bag? Because it says it on the label. Okay, but if it didn't say it was a pretzel bag on the label... There's other ways that you would know this is a pretzel bag, right? Yeah, because it was holding pretzels okay. earlier. Okay. Uh, how do you even know it's a bag? That's interesting. You called it a bag. Why is it? How do you know this is a bag? Because what we see as bags today looks like that. All like right. The, what we call yeah, bag. the shape. Is you that? Shape. 
Is that over there on the floor a bag? Nope. That's a. It's a it's type not? of bag. Oh, it, sorry, I couldn't see. It. I couldn't see. Aha! It is. It's my briefcase. I, I thought you were pointing at the thing on the wall. No. My briefcase <laughs> is another type of bag, but it doesn't look like this pretzel bag, does it? No. And yet you would consider them both bags, right? Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. what are you doing? I'd be right? surprised if I found a bunch of pretzels in your briefcase. <laughs> yeah, not me. Potato chips, maybe not pretzels. <laughs> what are you doing? Tell me what's what's happening in your brain when you're defining this is a bag and that is a bag, even though they don't look alike. You're comparing them. Okay. And you're you're comparing them according to what? Your knowledge of what a bag is. But what do you impose? They're, they're particular items. This item is different than that item, right? The one uh-huh. in my hand, the Snyder's pretzel bag, is different than the leather bag on the floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're both bags. We agree. What are we imposing on these particular items that look so different? You're imposing... Concepts. Yeah, <laughs> concepts, right? Sophia's looking at me in, in a daze. Remember Sesame Street? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't be like... Maybe you guys don't remember that. Mm-mm. When I was, was little... a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the point of that was comparing and contrasting, both of which are concepts, right? Remember we talked about the concept of similarity difference and when we do that we put things into what a bag is a it's another c word category category oh, right yeah. it's i was a gonna ca- say a container <laughs> it's a it's a, well it is sorry that's even a smaller right it's a category and it's a category of containers or yeah. containers is the category categories like true or false liquid water or solid the table right visible and invisible right This is how we get to know things. So to know something requires that we make distinctions between true and false, what is true, what is not, or what is part of the thing that is known and what is distinct from it. For example, this water bottle that I'm holding and I, we are two different categories, right? I'm a human being and I'm a male human being. This is a bottle of water, right? But this is also a bottle of water, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I've got two bottles of water, even though they are distinct particulars. But I would put these in a concept of water bottles, whereas the four of us around this table fall into a different category, human being, right? Yeah. Two women, two men. We couldn't know anything if we didn't go through this process, could we, of distinguishing and contrasting. Failure to make distinctions or to categorize things, and everybody does it all of the time, instinctually and by necessity, but the failure to do this would make it impossible to know anything, right? Example, my shirt, green shirt, and the door over there, right? Two different things. Hockey and football, right? Both the same category of sports, but you distinguish what kind of sport, puck versus, you know, a little round piece of vulcanized rubber versus a, a pig, what used to be a real pigskin blown up with laces on it, Right? And then you get into teams within hockey. The Predators and the Penguins are both NHL hockey teams, but they're two different teams, distinguished by the locations where they play, the, the color of the uniform, right? And if I were really being mean, I'd say the quality of play. But oh, man. I, I, everybody I was going to say the players on their team, yeah, yep, which cha- that changes every year. Right. Um, a car from an airplane. What's the difference between a car and an airplane? How do you know this? Cars drive Whereas planes fly. Well, uh, plane, planes, planes drive, drive on the too. runway. Mm-hmm. What, planes fly. What are some easier? Down. Okay. A car can't go in the air. Yeah. <laughs> and an airplane well, unless you're like flying off a bridge or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
how about, supposed how about to. electric cars from gas-powered automobiles? Well, one is good, the other's bad. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. One, one is logical, the other is not. Yeah, one is very, very expensive. You know, I saw a and statistic are, this week. What? Among all the other faults with electric vehicles, um, there's also now been a lot of studies showing this, the very simple fact that out of every, I forget it, number of vehicles or number of hours, there's more problems per hour or more problems per number of vehicle in electric vehicles mm. than in traditional gas-powered vehicles. Yeah. Again, not surprising. There's, Let's say, yeah, I mean, that could also come down to its newer technology, like but, it hasn't been. But my point is now the data has been gathered so much now that they've yeah. eliminated all of the, not just the newest technology. Yeah. Um, and what they were waiting for was all the Tesla information, that kind of from mm-hmm. that. Um, but you digress. <laughs> yeah, I digress for sure. We could talk about the difference between Republicans and Democrats, but the reality is it's probably a bad example. Probably bad. Because there isn't too many differences these yeah, days. Yeah. There's little to no distinction between Republicans and Democrats today, and I definitely digress. <laughs> wow. um, but none of those things we just Double spoke D. about. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, not, digress. <laughs> definitely digress. Definitely digress. Right. Boy, if we had more episodes, I could take a whole episode talking about that. None of those things we talked about, though, are material things, right? All of them are invisible, immaterial ideas. They're categories. They're concepts that we impose upon the particular items, right, material things. So that what? Why do we do that? So that we can know them. Yeah, so we can can know them. Tell different things apart from each other. Yeah, if you didn't know the difference between the door and the wall, (laughs) you try to walk through the wall all the time, right? Okay, so how do we account for this process of making distinctions and categorizing things, which is just another way of saying, how do we account for thinking rationally? Well, for us, it makes sense because we believe in the Christian worldview. We believe in God, who is orderly. We believe that he created everything with a purpose and with an order, and it doesn't change day to day. So it makes sense for our worldview. But for people who don't believe that, what do they have to stand on? Right. Unless God is who he says in the Word, and we've given some of those descriptions, unless we are who he says we are, which is totally dependent upon God, sinful by nature, um, unless the world is created and organized according to the counsel of God's perfect orderly will— You can't, that is a can't, cannot, account for rationality. You can be rational, but you can't explain why you or I should be rational. When you make yourself God, which is simply to say, when you make yourself or your own judgment or your own opinion or point of view the standard for measuring all things, then you lose the ability to account or to explain why we have this created order. Why? Well, among other things that should be patently obvious, we didn't make ourselves, right? People and the entire created order was made by God. And everything that God made predates every person that was created and every person that comes into being. It's not like time began when I was born, right? It's not like the created order began when you were born. And as Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He is eternal. But if you make yourself the standard of truth, all you are left with is, what, what is your defense? If, when you make yourself the standard of truth and someone says, well, then why, is all, why are all these things consistent? Why is water always H2O? Why is, you know, 
the difference between liquids and solids and and men and women and um you know how clouds are formed and the sunshine and the 24-hour day all of these things we go on forever as christians we can explain it because we can say this is how god created it right but if you're not a believer all you're left with is saying that's just the way it is that's just the way it is right these laws of logic uniformity of matter language and the demands of rationality are just there right which is, of course, not an answer. It's an assertion. It's a, a conclusion with no reason for why it is so. And yet everyone, including everyone who rejects the God of the Bible as the measure of all things, everyone operates according to this created order. Everyone uses the laws of nature, right? <laughs> you have to. When you're walking down the street, gravity works on an unbeliever like it works on a believer. It's not like... Right? The unbelievers just get to float up. Yeah, I don't believe in gravity. Everyone uses laws of logic and demands that their opponents use it too, right? We talked about that. Everyone relies upon the uniformity of matter, especially in the scientific realm, where the regularity of matter and the presumption that the past is a guide to the present and that the future will resemble the past, everyone relies on this. Everyone, in order to know what they know, to argue for or against something and to live rationally depends upon and takes for granted the order as created by God. Indeed, even to reject God, one must first what? Know him. Well, assume well, that there is a God. Yeah. yeah, not only know him, but presume and presuppose his existence. For to reject God requires rational argument. Right? You have to explain away, justify, distinguish your beliefs from my beliefs, propose your own theories, your own beliefs, and all of which are immaterial concepts, and which only make sense if the world and, and us, we, are defined as God defines us in the Bible. So, people are without excuse, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To claim ignorance of God is to make God a liar, because the Bible says that all people know him. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their minds became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So this culpability, right, this being without an excuse is due to the fact that God has manifested himself to us, in us, as well as in the external world around us. And by the external world around us, we don't limit our discussion to the material world of visible things, right? God has manifested himself in the trees and the flowers, in the weather, in the mountains, in the oceans, right? But he's also manifested himself in these intangible things. Um, As it says in Colossians, right? Tangible and intangible, visible and invisible, God manifested himself in everything, thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. John 1 continues that thread. Through God, through the word, all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Again, this isn't just the material things. It includes events and circumstances, right, which are not material. All of those concepts that we discussed, the laws of nature, laws of logic, uniformity of matter, reliability of memory, and the consistency of language. This, my friends, is what we mean when we say, quote, the Christian worldview is the precondition to the intelligibility of anything. This is what we mean when we say that everyone knows God 
and that the Bible is and must be the final criterion for anything to make sense. When we return, I'm going to ask our icebergs to provide their favorite moments of the year, best episodes, snacks, and perhaps a couple of goal horns for good measure. You're listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional, Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. Okay, before we get to our best of, I thought it would be appropriate once more to regale our audience with a little sine nomine. Kind of reminds me of high school concert band. thought since Roger is commencing the next stage of his journey, as we are wrapping up this fun little program and commencing or beginning new chapters of our own, right? Yep. That's nice. Isn't that This is taking me back to like May. Yeah, I know. Love that. So um, how about a little laugh track too? (laughs) (laughs) See, isn't that great? It sounds so so fake. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What laugh track doesn't sound fake? All right. So I want you guys to tell me and we'll go around the room. Off the cuff. Now it's kind of hard because there's 38, 39 of them counting this one since we had a Christmas unnumbered episode. What's your favorite episode? Or what was the topic if you don't remember the number? Because I couldn't. 29. We talked about. Um, wow. wow. You know the number. The number. Know. Yes. yes. Um, we talked about um, pro-life and abortion rights. Okay. Yeah, that was a good one. Episode yeah. Yeah, 29. So for those who are listening and want to go back. Wow. You know, these will, these will, these will always exist, yeah. right? You've got a catalog of material that just kind of remain on the website. Yeah. I don't remember the number, but I like the one we talked about, the truckers, the Canadian truckers and pastor's letter. That, I think that was mm-hmm. might have been one or two episodes, but it was somewhere in the teens. Well, like I'm, while, you're, or 20. while you're talking about that, I'm going to look it up because that was a fantastic letter. Yeah. It was um, really convicting. It was. Episode 25, that was. 25, okay. My guess was off. (laughs) Wait, how'd you find that so fast? Well, I just did a search, keyword search, because I've got all these episodes cataloged. So, um, very good. Penelope, any favorites? How about favorite moment, Penelope? They all kind of slur together. Oh, wow. wow. I hope that's a good slur. You know what that proves? You can't know anything. If you say it all blurs or slurs together... And we're not making any distinction between episodes, favorites, likes, dislikes. Okay, how about your worst episode or your worst moment over the past year? How about the time you almost fell asleep? It's <laughs> <laughs> happened more than once. I'm kidding. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. If you're going to accuse out. me of that, no. I can't remember. There haven't been any worst moments. The donut Although episode was, where you ate the was, donuts and then uh, we're like, oh, yes, that's no, right. There was one, there was for the one episode, episode, though, when Roger and I were laughing really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, that was really funny. Was, there was, yeah, we there was, not I started stop laughing. laughing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. donut episode made everyone sleepy and it made mm-hmm. my voice bad. So, 
That was if, if not, ever I eat of, snacks, that was not our hottest moment. <laughs> yeah, my worst moments are when I would eat snacks. Um, actually, last summer when we recorded episode one and nine the same week, and I had just come out of a bad cold, and I had a very froggy voice. So those are my least favorite. Kermit the Frog. Mm, Kermit. Worse than that. How about your favorite room? You know, we've got Squidgetville. We have Offices of Hypo- Hypothesis. We have the Palaces of Analysis. We have Premises of My Nemesis. I think I like the original, the Offices, yeah, offices of Hypothesis. I like Palaces of Analysis. Okay. Yeah, I, I like Squidgetville because I love that music. i got to hear it again. Perry Como. Yep, that's my favorite. Hey, a platypus. <laughs> a platypus. How about your favorite snack? We eat a lot of snacks in here. Mm, the compliments of the, the compliments of the podcast good. studio. Yeah, that's the only one that, that we brought in. Yeah. And we brought that in for Roger's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the pretzels were really good today, but I did like the, what was that big blue bag of ones we had? Or, oh, wait, no, that was a weird snack. Oh, that yes. was a weird snack, we, though. That's right. Daddy. There was a prior producer here who had um, uh, sweet and sour. No, not that one. Not going that far back. But the sec, the middle producer. We've had three producers over this, and all of them have helped us um, not completely disassemble here. Yes, there were there was a candy. Oh, mm-hmm. the like sour. The, yeah, they were like, colorful candies and yeah. They were. They were. I thought they were spicy. Yeah. They were spicy. They, they, were like, they weren't that spicy. Oh, those too. I was thinking the yeah, spicy they never Cheeto were spicy things. as advertised. Spicy Cheeto. Yeah, and we wanted the ranch ones, but they went. Here. It's got to be Kit Kats, though. How many Kit Kats have we consumed? I've seen oh. too many yeah, Kit Kats. Yeah, that's the number one. <laughs> yeah, year. that is definitely. They have, they have been um, the survivors. Yeah, pro- <laughs> I probably, I've probably got Consistent. a big hole in one of my teeth because of that. Yeah. No cavities, but. Maybe I do. If you looked at a percentage of the food I've eaten over the past years, Kit Kats would have a larger percentage than normal <laughs> because of this podcast. You know, the, the circle graphs, yeah. right? Yeah. The pie chart. Yeah, the pie chart. <laughs> All right. How about favorite hockey team? Well, that's easy for me. Yeah, Pittsburgh Penguins. Penguins. Mm, I like the Preds. Okay. How about best hockey team? This is this is more of an objective analysis. This year? I mean, this Colorado. Well, obviously. Yeah, they beat both of them. Yeah. Colorado is currently the best team. But, um, you know, Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins did get a shout-out by Nate McKinnon on that's right. Colorado Avalanche. So if you can't win the cup, at least be, be loved, <laughs> yeah, be loved by, the, the by the exactly. captain. Oh, I guess he's not the captain. He's the alternate captain. Yeah. Nate McKinnon alternate. calling out Sidney Crosby and thanking him. Um, that's pretty great for Sid. And uh, last but not least, who's your favorite host? The one and only... <laughs> Drum roll, please. <laughs> Wait, I, mean, like a, I can't do it. Who, who is, well, you're taking so long, you're making me nervous host. that it's going to be Kevin someone else. <laughs> there we go. Yes, Goldhorn. Perfect timing for Goldhorn. All right. I think I think we have to leave this room. We should end this episode with closing time. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed, that's all the time we have. Period. Many, many, many thanks and much gratitude to our icebergs, their parents, for lending them to us all year, except when Winnie was jet-setting, our producers, all of them, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, I shall remain on a never-ending aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do? 
Unless we believe what is true. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and you've been listening one final time to Jesus and the Meteorologist. Bye, Bye for, for now. now.